Welcome to Project Look at the Sikhs this week. We're learning Parshas Va'era Sikh Bays in Chelik Yidalef on page 24. This is a Sikha on a Rashi. The Rebbe will discuss the Makkah of Orev in uh, Rashi's view in two Pirushim of Rashi here. This is after a break of a couple of weeks now learning a Sikha on Rashi. This is a Gavaldige Sikha, very Gishmaka Sikha, how the Rebbe goes through here the Rashi and explains every detail how it fits into the context of what Rashi is saying. The Kesher, Lamakis Orev, Shehevia Kadesh Baruch Hu HaMetzrayim. Mesupe V'Parshaseinu. So the Torah relates regarding the Makkah of Orev as follows. Shehavia Baruch Hu Tzivu LaMoshe Loim Hashem commands Moshe to tell Parei, Kim Encho Mishaleach Esami, If you do not send my nation, Hineni Mashliach B'chovagayme Esa Orev. I will send, or as Rashi will explain, the word mashliach means I will incite against you Orev, which is a mixture of animals. And it'll fill the homes of the Mitzrayim and also the land that is on it, that the uh, homes are on it. As the Rebbe will explain further in the Sikhe, the exact meaning of this Pasik. Rashi, Bipirushai, Maitik Menakosov, Esatevis, Mashliach, Bacha. And Rashi explains what's the meaning of these words. He will incite, the Ebishter will incite against you. The uh, proof that the word mashliach means to incite. The teeth of animals will be incited against you. The word mashliach means to incite. And that Rashi brings the, old, the French word, incitibalaz. So, Bepashtus Kavanosai, the simple pshat of Rashi here is, Levayer, Shetevis Mashliach, Eino Meloshen Shiluach, it does not mean to send, Kemoi Im Encho Mishaleach, Bascholos Kosovze Atzmoi, like the word Mishaleach in the beginning of this very Pasik, Elo Shehi Meloshen Girui, rather it means to incite, Alderach Altisgorobom, Chayetzebeze, you find in Torah a few times, it says Altisgorobom, don't incite them. So, over here as well, Mashliach means, that the Ebishter will incite the wild beasts to come and attack the Mitzrayim. There are a few diyukim that force Rashi to translate the word Mashliach as incite. Aleph, number one. If the word Mashliach would mean to send, then it would say Mishaleach, not Mashliach. So it's clear that it does not mean to send. Beis, it would be more fitting to say, I will send the Orev to you. First you say who you are sending. And then you say to whom you're sending. For example, what we have later in this week's parasha. I will send all of my plagues to your heart. So the Pasuk says, the Ebeshter is sending, and it first says what he sends, the plagues, and then to whom he sends it. But, if Mashliach does not mean to send, but it means to incite, So then these two words are connected. This is part of the action itself, that he's inciting against you. It's not only sending to you that you send someone to do something to you, but it's part of the pola itself. When I incite against you a wild beast, or for example, for anything similar. 
So the word Megara boy goes together. I'm inciting against you these animals. So therefore, if the Pasuk here says that Mashliach, Boch, so it makes more sense to say that the word Mashliach means to incite, not to send. Gimel, if the word Mashliach would mean to send, it would be more fitting to say, Mashliach Lecha, I'm sending to you. Oy Mashliach Lecha, which also means to you. Veloy Mashliach Boch, that I'm sending in you or against you. Aval, if the word Mashliach means to incite, Masma Bitoy Mashliach Boch. So then the word makes sense to say that Hashem is inciting in you. Hashem, in other words, Hashem is inciting against you. So the term Bach is the right word to be used. Because of the last two reasons just mentioned, Rashi brings the word Bach as well. Even though Rashi is only coming to explain the translation of the word Mashliach, that it means to incite. Within the Pshat of Rashi itself, Rashi brings the word Bach again. This is part of what forces us to say that the word Mashliach does not mean to send, but it means Megara as the Rebbe brought over here. So everything is clear. We understand why Rashi comes to the conclusion that Mashliach means to incite and not simply to send the animals upon the Mitzriah. So the Rebbe now says, However, we have the following questions on the way Rashi presents this pshat. Why is Rashi bringing as a proof to his pshat from a pasuk that's in Parshas Azino? There's a pasuk that says earlier than that in Parshas Bechukaisai, Vehishlachti, which means I will incite against you, the animals, the wild beasts of the field. That's an earlier pasuk. The question is even stronger. There's another reason why there's a, an advantage of bringing the proof of this Pasik and not the Pasik in Parshish Azinu where it says, The Makkah of Orev, what are we speaking about? The Debeshter will incite the wild beasts. It's also speaking about inciting wild beasts. There it's talking about inciting animals that will bite with their teeth. That's a different thing. That's unusual. That's not the same as the case that we're talking about over here by Oriv. Another question in what Rashi here says is, After Rashi explains that Mashliach means Megara to incite. Why does Rashi add, in addition, that it's a Loshan of Shisri, which basically means the same thing, that Mashliach means to incite. Now we can't say, Shisri is simply coming to translate and explain what the word Megara means. Megara means to incite, in case you don't know the translation of the word Megara. So Rashi adds and says, Megara means Shisri, to incite. So that can't be what Rashi is saying, for three reasons. Key, Aleph number one. It's not a word that's more known than the word Megara. If Megara needs a further explanation by adding the word Shisui, Shisui doesn't explain it more than Megara. 
Megara is a term used in Teirah more than once. The word Shisui is not found in Chumash at all. So Frashi would start with Lashon Shisui and then would add Megara. Maybe we could say that Megara is clarifying Shisui, but not the other way around. If the word Shisu that Rashi adds is simply coming to clarify the meaning of the word Megara, which on its own is not understood, so it should be written as one continuation. Megarabach, which is a Lashon of Shisu. Why does Rashi divide them? First Megarabach, then brings a Rai from a Pasuk to that, and then adds a further clarification, Lashon Shisu, as if it's, a, it's an additional point. Gimel, another point there is, If, in fact, Shisui is the explanation of what the word Megara means, so it's not necessary to write Megara, and then to explain what Megara means by adding the word Shisui, Rashi should have just said that the meaning of Mashliach means Meshasa, that he will incite against you. It's not necessary to use the word Megara at all if it's not a word that's understood. So it's certainly not just coming to translate the word Megara. Shisui is adding something more here. So now we can't answer that when Rashi writes the word Shisui, what Rashi is explaining is, The translation of the word Mashliach on its own would mean to incite Megara. However, in our case, it doesn't simply mean Megara, but it means something additional. It means Shisui, which is a different kind of incitement. It's an additional level of incitement. That can't be what Rashi is saying either. The question, the second question we asked before still remains outstanding. Why wouldn't Rashi write it as one flow? Megara, Loshan Shisui. Megara would mean inciting, and then clarify that over here it's not just plain incitement, but it's a greater level of excite- in- in- incitement, which is Shisli. So that question still remains. Why does Rashi interrupt by bringing the Raya from Vishem Be'emes HaShalach Bam? Now, if this would be the Pshare, that Shisli is actually something more than simply Megara, the question now becomes, how does Rashi know this? That here, the word mashliach doesn't simply mean to incite like we find in other places, but it also means an additional level of shisui, which is a stronger incitement, as will be explained later in the Sikha. But how, how do we know this? How does Rashi know this? That it's something more than simply Megara. So these are the questions here on this Rashi. The Raya that Rashi brings, the order of how Rashi says it, what's the additional meaning of this Shisui? Besides Megara, there's something more in Shisui, an additional incitement in the Makkah of Orev. What is this all about and where does Rashi know this from? Then Rashi brings from the Pasik the word Esa, two words, Esa Orev, Umafarish, and Rashi explains as follows. This was a mixture of all kinds of wild beasts. Nuchoshim va'kravim, snakes and scorpions, barbuvia in a mixture. V'hoyu mashchisim behem, and they brought destruction upon the Mitzrayim. V'yesh tam bedove ba'gode, v'chol makke o makke, lo mezu v'lo mezu. There's a reason explained in Medrash for each makke, why this one and why the other one. V'tachsisim u'chomis melochim ba'aleim. The Ebeshti came and punished the Mitzrayim with the tactics that kings use in their wars. Kisei der malchus. The way a king lays a siege on a city. 
When you lay siege on a city, the first thing is you destroy the water springs. So they shouldn't have a source of water. And then you blow with horns, with shayfres, you create an alarm, a noise, to frighten them and to confuse them. This is what the mark of Tzvadeh is about. They croak and they make noise. As explained there in Medrash Rabbi Tanchuma, what the Makkas are all about. This is the Rashi. So there's many questions here on this Rashi. So here, the first question is as follows. Rashi is quoting from the Medrash. Rashi quotes it differently than it is in the Medrash. The Medrash, Yeshnam Beis Deis Lahaminim Shebemakis Arev. Again, the Medrash, Yeshnam Benigeya Lahaminim Shebemakis Arev Beis Deis. There are two opinions in the Medrash what the mixture of Arev consisted of. Aleph, the first opinion is Shoyedoivim Arayis Venemarim. Beers, lions, and leopards. Beis, another opinion, Shoyedsroin Viyatushin. It wasn't wild beasts, it was Sroin Viyatushin, all kinds of wild um, insects, flying insects, some translate as wasps and yutushin, mosquitoes, or any kinds of wild and uh, dangerous insects that was biting them and hurting them. The fact that Rashi doesn't spell out, like the first opinion in the Medrash, that it's beers, lions, and leopards, so that's understood. Rashi says, wild beasts, which includes all kinds of wild beasts. In the Pshara the Pasuk, there's nothing that forces us to say that the Arbuvia, the Arayv, consists specifically of these three animals. Certainly, Rashi cannot explain, according to the Pshara the Pasuk, that Arayv consists of wasps and mosquitoes and other flying insects. As the Medrash itself proves this, and it says as follows. Let's look back at what happened by Tzfardeya. By Tzfardeya it says, And the Tzfardeya all died. And it, wasn't, it didn't disappear from Mitzrayim. Because there wasn't a hide that could be used in a beneficial way. So therefore it all died and, cre- and caused a tremendous smell. And it was terrible for the Mitzrayim. Aval, These wild beasts if they would just die and stay there, so the Mitzrayim would have a benefit of using their hides. When the Makkah was over, it was all removed, it all disappeared. Now, so the Medrash says, According to the second opinion in the Medrash, that these are actually wasps and mosquitoes, and uh, that's uh, what remained after the Makkah, so why didn't it stay there after the Makkah? And it should all die where it is, and there is no hides for the Mitzrayim to have benefit from. So the same thing that happened by Tzvardeya should have happened over here. The fact that the Pasik says that after the Maket all disappeared, the reason is because it was wild beasts that have the hide. And therefore, the Abishu took it away, so Mitzrayim can't have any benefit from that. So in the Pashat Pshat of the Pasik, the Medrash proves that that can't be the Pshat. And this is true according to Rashi as well. Rashi brings this reason in his Pshat as well. That the Arav did not die the way that Tzvardim did. And he brings the reason that the Medrash says so they shouldn't have any benefit from the hide. 
So this negates the opinion that it consisted of wasps and mosquitoes and the like. The fact that Rashi adds that there were wild beasts and there were snakes and scorpions. Why is Rashi spelling out snakes and scorpions? Either way, it's not understood. If when Rashi says all kind of wild beasts, so that includes already snakes and scorpions, and came Why does it have to be specified? Rashi doesn't specify who all the wild beasts consist of. So why is he specifying the Nechashim and Akravim? And if snakes and scorpions are not included in the wild beasts that are mentioned, and therefore Rashi has to separately tell you that they were part of the Arev, from where does Rashi know that in fact Nechashim and Akravim were part of Arev? If they're not included in the category of Chayis Rois, so maybe they were not there by Arev, if Arev consists of Chayis Rois. So what is this specific Nechashim Vakravim that Rashi specifies separately? Beis, another question on Rashi is, Madua Mefarish Dafke Bepasik Zeh Sheyeshtam Bedova Bechol Mako Maka Lomazu Velomazu Why suddenly here does Rashi explain that there's a reason for each Maka why Hashem brings it? If in the Pshat of the Pasuk an explanation is demanded to explain why each Makkah was brought, it should be explained by the first three Makkahs, immediately by the first Makkah. Why these Makkahs and why in this order? Why does Rashi wait here to order the fourth Makkah to explain that in the Medrash there's a reason for the Makkahs and in the order that they're being brought? This is a question that many Mepharshim speak about. The Rebbe brings one answer uh, here inside the Sikhe. In the Ha'aras, the Rebbe brings various other explanations why Rashi brings it exactly here. And the Rebbe explains why you can't accept their Pshat. So there are Mepharshim that say, this is a Pshat in the Sif Sikhe in the first three makis, there's no need for any explanation. It's self understood from what it says before there in the Pasik itself. The point of those makis was to punish, to hit their gods. Rashi explains by Dam, they would serve the Nile River as a god. So the first Makkah is to hit their god, and then afterwards the plagues on the Mitzrayim themselves. That's the reason why it's first. Here, their god itself was affected. And the Gamba Makasvardeya, Makasvardeya also affects the, the Nilus, the water. The comes out of the Nilus. And Rashi says, Because the Nilus, when Moshe was placed into the Nilus, it protected him. So therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu could not hit the water to bring the Makkah because he was protected by the water. The Makkah of Tzvardeya is also related to the Nilus, to the Yoyer. It's not the Nilus itself that becomes plagued and affected by it. So therefore it comes after the Makkah of Dom where the actual Nilus itself is affected and turned into blood. 
So that's the first two makas. So we can, can understand very clearly from what Rashi said before what the point of the first two makas are. When it comes to the Makkah of Kinim, it's also understood what the objective of the Makkah is. It's clear from what it says there. It's over there where the Khartumim in Mitzrayim, they agreed and said, oh, this is a finger of God. This is something that they could not create. The Kinim is too small for the Khartumim to create. But now Rashi comes to the Makkah of Oroiv. So here the question is, what's the point of this Makkah? Over here we don't see any specific reason and objective of what this Makkah is about. So Rashi says, look in the Medrash, you'll see that over there it's explained that the Makkahs are compared to the tactics taken in a war. That's why Dafke here, Rashi has to explain, explain this. But this Pshara the Mepharshim, is not understood at all if you pay attention to what Rashi actually says. Aleph, the first problem is, If in fact, Rashi is only bringing the Medrash here, because he wants to explain the reason for this Makkah of Arav, so the continuation of the Medrash, where it explains the reason for this Makkah of Arav, Rashi doesn't even quote. Rashi says, go look, up at, go, go look it up in the Tanchuma. Rashi only brings the reasons of the previous Makkis that are not relevant for the Makkah of Arif. But his main point is not to explain the previous Makkis. Those are understood. And Rashi quotes the Hezbo of those Makkis and the Hezbo of the Makkah of Arif. Rashi doesn't quote it all. And the other other question is, the That according to Rashi, the purpose of the first three makkas is known and simple. So Rashi doesn't bother explaining what the point of those makkas are. So why here when it comes to Orev, does Rashi retract of what he himself wrote before by, by Dam? And he brings in new reasons, what it says in the Medrash. Gimel, another problem here is, According to the Pshat that the Mepharshim here say, the continuation where Rashi brings this message to explain the reason for the Makkah of Arev, who Ach Verag Bir Sarav Levad. It's explaining what the reason of Makkah's Arev is. This is a separate point. It's not connected at all to what Rashi said in the beginning, what Makkah's Arev is. is the fact that it's a mixture of animals. Two different points. First, Rashi explains what Arif is, and then Rashi goes on to explain what's the reason for the Makkah. Whenever Rashi comes to explain two different points in one or few words of a Pasuk, Rashi will bring this word twice, and explain each point separately. You have this in this week's parasha as well. Rashi brings the word atir from the Pasuk twice and he explains two separate points. Rashi should have brought the word a second time to separate that first he's going to explain what is Arev and then to explain what's the whole objective and the reason for this Makkah. It's two separate points. 
But that's not what Rashi does. Rashi, in the same Rashi as a continuation, explains first what Arif is, and then the reason for the Makkah. Why does it all come in the same Rashi? So this is all part of the second question that the Rebbe is asking here. Why is Rashi suddenly now, by the fourth Makkah, bringing the reason for the Makkahs? Gimel, another question, going back to the Rashi itself, another problem with what Rashi here says is, when he brings the Medrash, Batam Lamakizdam maybe Rashi Rakes Amoshal Mebli Lahazbim Bumuvani Benimshal. When Rashi brings from the Medrash what Dam is about, so he only brings the analogy that it's like a war when you lay siege on a city and you uh, cut off the source of water. So Rashi just says the Moshal. He doesn't explain what it's an analogy for, how that plays out in the Makkah of Dam. Comes to Svadeya, there Rashi does not uh, just explain how it uh, is in the tactics of a war, but Rashi spells out also how this plays out in the Mak of Svadeya. So too did Svadeya croak and make noise. So, what's the difference? Why by Dom does Rashi not spell it out, and by Svadeya Rashi does? Dalit, a fourth question on Rashi here is, Rashi specifies that it's, this comes from a Medrash. This reasoning that the Medrash says regarding the Makis is, does not go well into the Pashat Pshat of the Pasik. It's a Medrash that could be brought in connection to the Pasik, but it's not the simple Pshat of the Pasik. The same tactics that are used in a war, it's something that could be very simply and well understood, even in the Pshat of the Pasik. Why does Rashi emphasize that this is only a Medrash and it's not something that flows in the Pshat of the Pasik? Why not? This is something that's very logical and reasonable. Hey, another question here is Lama Messiah Rashi Kidi Isa Bemedrish Rabbi Tanchuma. Giving you the source that the rest of the story is in the Medrash of Rabbi Tanchuma. It's not Rashi style to bring the source of what he's writing. Only Rashi only is Messiah to where he's taking it from if it's relevant for the Pshat of the Pasik and he wants you to go look there. So what's the reason why Rashi here tells you that the rest is a Medrash Rabbi Tanchuma? The Gam, Lama Cholka L'Shnayim. Why is Rashi write separately? Rashi gives you the introduction that this Medrash here, it's a Medrash. And then in the end, he specifies and says, And that this says in the Medrash of Rabbi Tanchuma. Why does Anashi include it together and say, There's a reason in the Medrash of Rabbi Tanchuma. So why does Rashi separate twice and write first Ba'agoda and then again conclude that this is in the Medrash of Rabbi Tanchuma? Vav, the sixth and final question here is, Why is Rashi bringing in the Dibra Maschal the word S as well? The Pshat of Rashi is only on the word Ha'orif. Everything in Rashi is precise, including the Dibra Maschal. The fact that Rashi brings the word S is also precise. So why is Rashi quoting the word S in the Dibra Maschal? So we have many questions here on both of these Rashis. The Rashi of Mashliach and the Rashi of Ha'orif. Rabbi here pointed out that Rashi and the Ha'orif 
brings the snakes and the scorpions. How is that relevant? Why does Rashi specifically point them out? And, and then mainly the Rebbe is focusing on over here is, why is Rashi suddenly bringing me the reason for the makis? If in the first three makis, Rashi did not find it necessary to explain the reason for the makis. Suddenly here Rashi wakes up to explain the reason for the makis. And he actually gives you the reason for the previous makis. And for the makah of Arev, he doesn't give an explanation. What's going on? If Arev is what requires an explanation, so let Rashi give an explanation for Arev. If it's the previous makas that requires an explanation, he should have said it there. So how do you answer these Rashis? These reasons that Rashi brings over here. Habir b'cholzehu. So the explanation for all of this is as follows. B'chol makah makah. You look at all the other makas. Ve'in o'islan sholifnei makas Arev ve'in o'islan sholachra. Whether the ones before Arev or the ones after. Harei puranusa v'teichen o'insha muvon v'nikah. What the punishment is, what exactly the terrible thing about the Makkah was, is very clear. In some, time, in some of the Makkahs, you can see it very clearly already in the warning, when Moshe Rabbeinu warns Pari about the Makkah that would be coming. Or certain Makkahs, there was no warning, but you look at what the Ebishter tells Moshe Rabbeinu when he's going to bring the Makkah, it's described what exactly the Makkah is and what the punishment is. You see clearly what the Makkah is about before it describes that the Makkah actually came. When you look over here at the Makkah of Arif, in the warning all it says is, I'm going to send, I'm going to incite against you an Arif. What does the word Arif mean? A mixture. And that mixture will fill all the houses. The Pasik does not tell us what is this Arif, a mixture of what? What is the punishment that this Makkah consists of? So that is what's different and unique about the Makkah of Arif, the way the Torah describes it. It doesn't describe anything about this Makkah other than the fact that it's a mixture. So what is this Makkah all about? So this forces us to say that if the reason why the Torah doesn't tell us more than the word Arayv, because it's already indicated before a mixture of what it is, of what this mixture is. When it says, that I will incite against you, the it already emphasizes what exactly this Mak is and what the punishment is. Move on. The only thing that the Torah actually does spell out clearly is the fact that it's a mixture. And that it will come, it will come in all your places. And the houses, and the land, and the, and the earth. So therefore Rashi says that means that he will incite against you. Since we know that the word mashliach does not simply mean to send, but it means to incite, so yuvon gam mi we can understand who and what this arav is. It's an existence, it's a mixture of something that you could incite. Those are wild beasts that you incite them. And when you incite wild beasts, are they moving by pastures? Simply simply understood the destruction that they bring about, they bite and destroy. So it's the words mashliach that tells us what the mixture of the Arav is. 
So it's clear what Arev is and what the punishment is. The will incite many animals to come in a mixture. And they'll bite and destroy the Mitzrayim. So that's where you see the meaning of what Arev refers to. But however, here, the Titus still doesn't clearly say that it's animals. The Titus doesn't say any details about this Makkah other than this, the description of Arev. When it talks about these animals, it only says the fact that it's a mixture. So, Only the fact that this is going to be a mixture, that the animals came as a mixture, from any other detail that could be said about this Makkah. The fact that we're talking about a mixture of animals is not spelled out clearly. We understand it from the word mashliach, but nevertheless, the Torah never spells out clearly that it's animals. The Torah does spell out that it's a mixture. This forces us to say, The Torah is focusing only on the word arev, that it's a mixture because this is telling us something that I wouldn't know otherwise. And that's as follows. The main novelty and miracle in this nest of the Makkah of Arev, it's the fact that they all came as in a mixture. Any of the other details in this Makkah, there was no other Chiddush and there was no other nest other than the fact that it was an Arev. The Devisha combined many, many different kinds of wild beasts that usually remain separately, and they all came together to attack the Mitzvah. That was the nest of this Makkah. Then came Mokrech So now, if so, this forces us to say, So this was wild beasts that usually attack and not animals. If the Mak of Arev includes also domesticated animals that came and bit and destroyed, and acted like wild beasts, that would be a, a tremendous Chiddush and a big miracle. The Pasuk doesn't tell me any detail about the Makkah. There's no other miracle that it points out other than the fact that it was an Arev. A mixture of wild beasts. So we know now that this is what the, the Ness is about. This is the main thing of what the market consists of. And there's no other miracle that the Torah Bob is pointing out. So therefore, Behemoth did not come together in the market of Arev to attack the Mitzrayim to do something against their nature. That would be a separate miracle that would be worthy for the Torah to mention. If so, the question becomes, If the Ebishter brings a mixture of only animals that by their nature are destructive and are wild animals, So then why does it say mashliach? The Ebishter incites them. Why is it necessary to incite them? It's just necessary to bring them. You bring them, you let them loose, and they'll go and attack all the Mitzrayim. If over here the meaning would be that there were domesticated animals that came. So move on. So it's understood that it's necessary to incite them. So that they will destroy the opposite of their nature. But when it comes to wild animals, wild beasts, this is their nature. To go and destroy, to go and bite. So why is it necessary for the Pasuk to say that the is going to incite them? So on one hand, because the Torah writes Arayv, 
and that's the only detail that the Torah mentions about this Makkah. We know that that is the ness of the Makkah, nothing else. So there were only wild beasts. On the other hand, the Torah says Mashliach, that there was something unique about inciting these animals. Why is it necessary to incite wild beasts? Well, the Taretz Kashizu, to the Kushizu, to answer this question, Maisif Rashi Loshin Shisoi. So this is what forces Rashi to say that it's not just simply inciting these animals, but there's something more intense. The Kavanosi Bezeh, and what Rashi here is saying is, Kiyaf Shenekudas Apirish Betevis Mashliach Himegara. The translation of the word Mashliach means to incite. There are different degrees how much you incite the wild beast. You could incite regularly. And that the wild animals don't need to be incited. They on their own are wild and will go and attack. But And then there's when you intensely incite and then aggravate an animal. And that's what Shisui means. You aggravate them to the point that they come and they bring destruction more than usual. Since these were wild beasts, and the Torah nevertheless says, Mashliach, the Tevish is inciting them. That the point here is that the Abishta didn't just bring the wild animals to attack, but he actually incited them intensely in order for them to attack with greater vigor, with the, they would like aggravated wild animals. However, this is not considered to be something which is opposite their nature. Since animals will destroy and attack regardless. They incited them and invigorated them or uh, aggravated them a bit more. That's the mashliach. But it's not a separate miracle that um, is unusual, like we find over here, the, the word Arev, the word Arev, the Torah specifies specifically, and it calls this Makkah again and again with the word Arev, that is the main miracle over here, the mixture of the animals. So now we can understand the order of the way Rashi presents his Pshat. Maybe Rashi So Rashi says the Pshat, that Mashliach means to incite, Megara, what does he bring as a proof for this? He brings it from Vishen Behemus Ashalach Bam, which means that Abishta incites animals, domesticated animals. Vilema Posik Shabaparshis Bukhokaisai, Rashi does not bring the Posik and Parshis Bukhokaisai where it talks about wild beasts. Kimitchilo Mefarash Rashi Nikudasapirish Bitevis Mashliach Shahi Megara. First the translation. The correct translation is not to send, but it means to incite. So he brings you a pasuk where it speaks about animals. Animals have to be incited in order to attack. He doesn't bring you the pasuk where it talks about wild animals. They don't even have to be incited. So therefore Rashi brings you a place where you see the Torah using the term mashliach regarding domesticated animals that have to be incited. On their own they will not destroy your harm. After Rashi explains the meaning of Mashliach generally, that it means to incite, then he proves it to you from a postic where it talks about animals that have to be incited in order to destroy. That over here, over here, the giroi, the incitement was more intense. It was shisui that they were additionally incited and aggravated to come and attack with greater vigor. Just to simply have them incited is not necessary by animals because they are on their own wild beasts. So therefore Rashi separates it. First he says the taich of the word and he doesn't yet bring Lashen Shisoi. 
Because when Rashi brings the proof, the proof is only to the simple pshat of mashliach, meaning to incite as opposed to send. Then after Rashi brings the proof to the pshat of the word, Rashi adds that in the context of our posik, we have a proof that it has to be shisui, an additional incitement, since over here we're not talking about behemoths, we're talking about wild beasts. So this is the explanation of the Rashi of Mashliach. So the main point that comes out from this Rashi that the Rebbe will now use in the Hemshech of the next Rashi is that the Teireh describes this Makkah only as Orev. That's the only detail that the Teireh explicitly mentions, that it's a mixture, a mixture of animals. This is the main Chiddush and miracle of this Makkah. So now, Pianal, Yuvon, based on this, will understand, when Rashi continues and explains what the words Esa Orev mean, He's, which is, all kinds of wild beasts and snakes and scorpions that came as a mixture and uh, brought destruction. Why is Rashi spelling this out? When Rashi says, what, what is he coming to explain? Rashi is not primarily coming to explain what does the Orif consist of. From where do we know that Orif means wild animals? That we learn out from the word mashliach. Mashliach means to incite. And incite refers to the animals. That's, that's what you're going to incite. That's what proves that it's wild animals. Rashi is not saying that it's the word ha'ariv itself that proves this. We already know that from before, from mashliach. Mainly what Rashi is coming to say is, Rashi is coming to describe that Ha'arev, this mixture, the mixture of highest Royce, that's the main Chiddush and focus of the Ness of this Makke. In addition to obviously the Makke itself, that it brought destruction, the harm and destruction that the animals brought, but the Torah is emphasizing specifically this miracle that they came and as a, as a mixture. And Ashi is describing this mixture. What does Ha'arev mean? The mixture of highest Royce. That's what Ashi is coming to explain, but not that they were actually highest Royce. That I know already from before, from Ashliach. So since Rashi is explaining, Rashi wants to describe to you that this is the Chiddush, that they came as a mixer, mixture, so Rashi describes what that mixture consists of. Rashi is explaining this mixture, that the whole Chiddush of the Maki is the mixture of the many kinds of animals, the many highest Royce that there were. Why Rashi spells out specifically in Nechoshim Vakravim, the Rebbe will explain that soon. But the point is that Rashi is just describing the mixture so you should understand that this is the main chiddush of this makkeh, that it's not just animals that came to attack them, but a mixture of highest royce that came to attack them. That's the main focus of this makkeh. Now we understand why Rashi brings from the Parsik the word es ha'orev, the orev. This is another reason that brings us to the conclusion that the main chiddush of this makkeh is the fact that these animals came as a mixture. If the mixture is not the main chiddush, it's just a detail of the whole makkeh that they happen to have come in a mixture. But it's not the main point. So then how does the Pasuk say? I'm going to send to you the Orev. This is what Hashem is inciting. The mixture. 
The Pasuk could say that described that it came, the animals arrived in a mixed form, that they all came mixed together. Okay, but that's not what it says. It says, Es ha'orev, the orev. That's what Hashem is bringing. Since the Pasuk says, Hinini mashliach b'cha, so it's this word S that also forces us to say that this is the main Chiddush of the Makkah. In addition to what we explained before, the very fact that the title just keeps on calling it Arayv and it doesn't mention any other detail. It doesn't even say who the, what, what it is, what the mixture is. But now we could also see the additional emphasis of the title S this is what brings us to the conclusion that the, facts that, it, that the fact that it was a mixture of animals is the main point of this Makkah. We can now give an additional explanation why Rashi doesn't spell out bears, lions, and leopards. In addition to what the Rebbe said before, that it's not necessary for Rashi to spell out anything because Chayis Rois includes everything. But there's an additional reason why Rashi doesn't want to mention specifically these animals. We have no idea what kind of animals were found around Mitzrayim, in Mitzrayim, or around Mitzrayim in that time period. Not necessarily were bears, lions, or leopards in that area of the world at all. If Rashi would specifically spell out that there were beers, lions, and leopards, it would seem then that the Chiddush here would be that Hashem imported the animals from all four corners of the world. He brought them from other places far away to come and attack the Mitzrayim. Then that would be a huge additional miracle that the Abish is bringing animals that they've never seen before in their life that came from faraway places to attack them. And that's not the case. The Torah says, Orev. It was a mixture of animals. It's the mixture which is the nest of this Maki, but no other Chiddush, no other nest. So therefore Rashi says that these are Chayis Rois, wild beasts. So you understand that this refers to the wild beasts that were in that area of the world around Mitzrayim. Without spelling out which, which animals they were. Because then you would think that maybe Rashi is coming to say that it's specifically a Chiddush of these animals that were imported from a faraway place. And that's not the Chiddush of this market. The Chiddush of this market is Orev, the mixture that came to attack them. Now, based on the premise of what we're explaining here, that the only chiddush of the nest of Arif is the fact that it was a mixture, but there was no additional nest that occurred that the Torah bothers to mention. So we can understand also a hechrech the Rashi lefarish shahoyisham gam the choshen What forces Rashi to say chayis rois? He all includes them in the general uh, term of chayis rois, but then Rashi spells out the choshen and akravim, the snakes and the scorpions. And here the Rebbe shows us, if you look very closely into the way the Pasuk is written, so then you'll see what's the reason Rashi says this. The Pasuk Zemesayim. So in this Pasuk, it concludes and says, V'gam ho'adoma asheheim oleho. And also, the land, or the earth, that they are on it. So what is the simple shot of this Pasuk? So the full quote of the Pasuk, which you have in the beginning of the Sikha is, Umalu bate mitzrayim esa oreiv. The houses of the Mitzrayim will be filled with this oreiv. And also the earth, which they are on it. So the question is, when it says, they are on it, what is they referring to? Haim. Who is the Haim referring to? So the Rebbe analyzes the Pasuk here and says, 
if the Pasuk would be written differently, the Arev will fill the houses of the Mitzrayim, and it will also fill the earth, the land which they are on it. Meaning, we're talking primarily about the Arev, about the Arev filling all of Mitzrayim. That's not what it says in the Pasuk though, right? In the Pasuk it says, that umalu bate mitzrayim the, the pasuk is talking about the houses. It's focusing on on the place, on the houses that the houses will be filled, and then the gama adam hashem That's the way the pasuk is written. But the Rebbe here is saying, what's if the pasuk would be focusing and re- write it differently? The gam or umale ha'orev es bate mitzrayim, focusing on the orev. Explaining where the Arev is going to go, that the Arev is going to go everywhere. If the main focus is describing the Arev, so then, we would say, when it says, so it's referring to the main focus of what the Pasik is saying here, which is Arev. It's talking about where the Arev is going to be. The Arev is going to fill the houses, and also, and they're also going to fill. The, the land which they are on it. That would be the pshat if the Pasuk would be written in this way. But in fact, what does the Pasuk say? That the houses will be filled with the Arif. So it's talking about the result of what's going to happen to the houses. The Pasuk is focusing about the effect, how the houses will be affected by the Arif. So then if so, how do you read the whole flow of the continuation of the Pasuk? So it's as if it would be written as follows. The Arev will fill the houses. And also the ground. Which the houses, when it says Haim, Haim refers to the houses. That the houses are on this ground. Will also be filled with the Arev. In other words, what the Pasuk is doing is, it's equating, it's comparing. The same effect, the way the Arev will fill the houses, in the same way the Arev will fill the ground. It's for comparing the two. If the title would simply be saying, So the Pasuk is talking about the Arev. It's not trying to compare the way the effect of Arev will be in the houses and the effect that it's going to have on the Adama. It's talking about the location of where the Arev is going to be. The Arev is going to come into the houses and the Arev is going to come to the Adama. But we're not necessarily comparing the way they're going to be, the effect of the Arev being in the houses, that they're going to be the same way also in the, in the ground. However, now that the Pasuk writes, Umalo, we're focusing on the houses, on the way the houses will be affected by the Arif. And immediately after that it says, referring to the houses. So we're comparing the effect of the Arif on the ground, the way it affects the houses. So what does that mean? We're equating the two. The way the Arif fills the houses, that's the way the Arif fills the ground. The question is, is that really true? How does the Arif fill the houses? They enter into the homes, they fill the houses. Is the Arev of here going to enter into the ground itself, go underground? Is that what the Pasuk means to say? That's what it would seem. If the Pasuk is focusing on the houses and comparing the way it affects the houses and the ground, the Pasuk here is telling you a tremendous Chiddush, that the Arev will be in the, on, on the ground. That's the Diok here in the Pasuk. Another diok that the word heim does not refer to the orev, but it refers to the houses, and it's comparing the ground which the houses are standing on to the houses themselves, the way the orev affects the houses. Another main point there is the whole parshazu 
Ha'arev ulashin yachiv. The word arev is always used in a singular term. If the Torah is simply speaking about the arev itself, where the arev will go to, so then it should have said that the arev will be in the houses and it will also go to the land which it's, it's on it. Referring to who, singular term to the arev. But instead it says heim. Haim is plural referring to the Mitzrayim or to their houses. And it's saying that the way, this equating, this way, the same way the Arif fills the houses, the same way it will also fill the grounds which the houses are placed upon. If so, we must say, in the simple chart of the way you read this Pasuk, when it says, it's referring to the houses, or the Mitzrayim in their houses, that not only will the Ore fill the houses, what it's saying is that it'll fill, the same way it fills the houses, it'll also fill the ground which, which they stand on. Meaning to say that the Ore will be in under the ground. That's, in other words, they were attacked from all sides. They were, in, they were all over in their houses and when they walked in the street, from out, from under the ground, the Arif came out, it filled the ground. That's what the Pasuk here is saying. If that's the Pshat, so then this is a unique and unbelievable miracle. That all these wild beasts will be filling the ground. Opposite their nature. That there was no additional miracle here besides the fact that it's described as Arif as a mixture. No other miracle besides this. This is the main focus and objective of the market, that it should be in a mixture of animals. But this additional miracle that they were underground, the Pasuk doesn't make mention of such a thing. So, if this is an additional miracle, so then why is the Pasuk only focusing and referring to it as Oriv, as a mixture of animals? So, therefore, Rashi says that which animals, which wild beasts were underground, the snakes and scorpions. That's natural. That's where they live. They live in pits and on the ground. We know this from what Rashi says before. When Yosef was thrown in the pit and the Pasuk says there was no water, it is filled with water. Sorry, it is filled with snakes and scorpions, that is. That's the place where they are. So this is not something that's against their nature. So this is not a unique Chiddush regarding the Makkah of Arev, and therefore the Torah does not make mention of this uniquely as it does regarding the main point of this Makkah, which is Arev, the fact that it's a mixture of animals. That's the main point of this Makkah, and that's the main objective of this Makkah. But Vafal Pikein, now that Rebbe points out, although Rashi has a reason why he says Nechoshen Vakravim, which is based on the continuation of the Pasuk, which we were Medayik here, V'gama Adoma Shehem Oleo, Ein Rashi Maitek Ateves V'gama Adoma Shehem Oleo, Rashi does not quote that part of the Pasuk, V'gama Enim Eramzam V'vegaymer, Rashi doesn't even hint to it with a V'gaymer, Ki Ka'omor, as mentioned, Kan Ein Iker Inyonish Rashi Lefarat Mini Achai Sheva Kosh Baruch HaBemakesarev. The main objective of Rashi here is not to let you know what this mixture consists of. Rashi is describing this only to emphasize that the mixture is the main point of the Makkah. Once he's on the topic, so he tells you that there was the Choshem and Akravim as well, which is understood from the continuation of the Pasuk where it says, that they were underground, which is only by the Choshem and Akravim. Okay, so now we see what the main 
Makkah is. The Makkah mainly is the Orev. There was no domesticated animals, and there was no additional uh, major miracle that occurred here. The Abishah brought these wild animals in a mixture, and of course the main Makkah is about the fact that they attacked them. But the main point that the Tata finds necessary to mention is the fact that they came as a mixture. That's the main point of the Makkah. So now, Omnam in Yindorish beer, but this itself needs a tremendous explanation. Why is this the whole focus and objective of the Makkah? That they came as a mixture. So much so that the Teda is telling you it keeps on talking about this Makkah as Orev, the mixture of animals. Any other nest did not happen. Any other detail about the nest of this Makkah, even the fact that they destroyed and, and they bit them and so on, the Teda doesn't mention. It's the Orev, the mixture. Why is that the main focus of the Makkah? That's the pal over here. So therefore Rashi immediately continues and explains There's a reason explained in the Medrash for the Makkis. This explains us the Chiddush why the Torah is fo- focusing specifically on the mixture of the animals. And Rashi says The Ebesh came with the tactics of kings and wars that one of the main things done in a war is to blow with shayfris, to raise an alarm, to make noise, to scare them, to frighten them, and to confuse them. As we see by Tzvardei, that they croaked and made noise. This is the main point Rashi focuses on. So from this message we understand, one of the main tactics in a war is, to do things, to, to, to scare and to confuse your enemy. That was the main thing that the Makkah of Orif came to accomplish. The reason the animals come in a mixture. It's to scare them and to confuse them. If you see a specific herd of animals of one type, so then it is, the, the fright and the confusion is not as big. So when you see all these different kinds of mixture of animals that are coming and attacking you, so here the fear and the confusion, which is the main point of what this Makkah is about, is much greater. So the destruction is actually not the main point of the Makkah. The main point of the Makkah is the fear and the confusion that this Makkah brought on them. Since Rashi is focusing on this detail, which you see in the Pasuk, the mixture of these animals. So therefore Rashi brings the reason for this Makkah right here. And it's a continuation of what he explains here. And he only brings the reason of the two first Makkahs. He's mainly quoting and focusing on the reason that it says by Tzvadeya, V'lo Yosef, and not more. Primarily, Rashi wants to bring you the reason that it says by Tzvadeya about the noise and the confusion and the fear, which is the point of the Makkah. That explains why the Torah focuses primarily on the mixture when it comes to the Makkah of Ori. So this explains beautifully why in the previous the previous Marcus Rashi doesn't have to bring anything. Over here, when Rashi is bringing this reason, he's bringing this reason of Svardeya as an explanation for the Makkah of Ori. Why the Torah is focusing primarily on the noise and the confusion or the uh, the fear that they had from the mixture of the Chayas. 
So we can understand why Rashi spells out only the Makkah Tzvardeya. We understand from this that the main point of the Makkah is to bring fear upon the Mitzvah. That was the main thing, the confusion and the fear. And that was achieved in the, in the Makkah of Arev when the animal didn't simply come and attack them, but all kinds of animals at once came as a mixture to attack them. That brings a tremendous fear and confusion. In the beginning, Rashi says that this is a reason that says in the Medrash. Even though this pshat fits into the Pasuk as well, it's logical. In the simple pshat of the Pasuk, there are other reasons that we know for this Makkah. It's to hit their gods. The third Makkah, Kinim, to show that it's a finger of Hashem, that they can't create this Kinim. So the objective of those Makkahs are clear in the Pasuk itself. This additional reason is in Medrash. But looking at what the Medrash says regarding the previous Makkahs, specifically regarding Tzvardeya, we'll understand why here the Torah focuses and refers to this Makkah as an Orev, because it's the main Indian of this Makkah, the fact that it came to scare and confuse the Mitzrayim by the mixture of these animals that came to attack them. It's not that this Magadha, this Pshat of Medrash, is a contradiction to the simple Pshat of the Pasuk. It's just not seen from the simple pshat of the pasuk, but this could be an additional objective of the makkah. However, the reasons that you see there in the pasuk by dam, tzvardeya, and kinim, that's clear in the pasuk itself, each in their place. So this is the explanation of why we're focusing on the erbuvia. There was sort of a psychological warfare against the mitzrayim, which is actually even more powerful than the actual physical destruction that was brought upon them. However, this is not yet smoothly understood. Although this is not really a very strong question, Rashi only hints the answer to this question, as we'll point out, but there's still a question here. But who? As follows. The fact that the animals come as a mixture is a big point. It confuses them and it scares them. Why is only this mentioned in the Pasuk? So much so, the fact that the Pasuk doesn't even talk about the actual destruction. So you see that the fact that it scared them and it confused them is so much greater in this Makkah than the actual physical destruction. So the title doesn't even mention that. That's not the main point. Why is that? Isn't the destruction itself a major component of this Makkah? So therefore Rashi hints and says, As an answer to this question, you have to see what it says further there in the Medrash of Rabbi over there, as a continuation to this point, the noise that the Tzfardeya made was more difficult for the Mitzrayim to handle than the actual destruction that they brought. And as I mentioned before, this is the point over here. The psychological warfare that Hashem brought upon the tactic in a war, when, when you have a psychologically, uh, you're fighting your enemy in such a way that you bring this noise and confusion, is actually more difficult to handle than the actual physical destruction. 
And that's what the Medrashtir is explaining regarding the Makkah of Tzvardeya. They just couldn't handle it. The same is also true regarding Oreb. That this point of the Makkah, the noise and the confusion and the fear that the mixture of animals that came to attack them is much greater than the actual physical destruction that it brought about. This is the Vuchulu in Rashi. The Vechulu in Rashi is not that if you want to see the story and the reason for all the other Makis, look, you want to see the reason for all the other Makis, look over there in the Medrash. No, it's not Negea here to see the reason of all the Makis. This point that the noise is more harmful to the Mitzrayim than the actual physical destruction explains the Makav Arif. It explains why the Torah focuses on the term Arif and not on the physical destruction. Because that's much more harmful and had a much more long-term effect on the Mitzrayim and they couldn't handle that much more than the physical destruction. So this is the conclusion of the explanation of the point of the Makav Arif and why the Torah refers to it only as Arif and not as anything else. That was the main point of the Makav. So now the Rebbe is going to come from this and go back to the first Makis and uh, in contrast to the Makkah of Arayv and show us a tremendous Chiddush that you see coming out of here according to Rashi. Based on what we said, according to Rashi, the main reason for the first three Makis is actually not the reason that it says in the Medrash. Rashi doesn't quote it earlier. Rashi only quotes it here by Arayv, and he's bringing it specifically as an explanation for Arayv. Kiyim, the reason for the first three Makis was Lahalkis Yerosan, and Laharis Lachatumim Shadz Balakimi, to hit their gods and to show their Chatumim that it's a finger of God. So Yuvon Oidinya. We can understand another point that it says specifically by Arayv and not by the first three Makis. The Makis Arayv Kosov Achakach, the Titus says by Arayv. I will separate the city of Geshem from all the other places that there will be no Arev in the city of Geshem. You did not experience the Makkah of Arev. The question here is, Why does the Torah not tell us thus, by the first of the, or any of the three Makkahs, that the Eden did not experience those Makkahs? If it's self-understood that the Makkahs are being brought on the Mitzrayim only, so why does the Torah spell it out specifically by the Makkah of Arif? There are various opinions. The first three Makkahs actually was brought upon the Mitzrayim and the Yidin. The harm of these three makis was minimal comparing to Arev. Arev, which was a much more difficult destruction. Here they were separated between the Yidin and the Mitzrayim. That's what it says in the Evan Ezra. The Radvaz writes in the Tshuva, that the first three makis were both for the, for the Yidin and for the Mitzrayim alike, it's forbidden to believe such a thing. Definitely the Psukim show otherwise. The Pasuk clearly says Mitzrayim, that the Mitzrayim couldn't find water and they had to dig around and they couldn't find any water. 
It seems clear that the Yidin didn't have this problem. They would drink the water. Also by the Tzfardim, it spells out specifically the Mitzrayim. When he speaks to Pada, he speaks to him about him, about his nation, about his servants. Again, it's pretty clear that it wasn't by the Yidin. Similar by Kinim, even though by Kinim it doesn't specifically point out the Mitzrayim, over there it just says Adam, that was brought on the people in Mitzrayim. But the Yilmai, you could learn out in the Makkah of Kinim, where the Torah does not say clearly, from what it does specify earlier that it was including the only it was only in the midst and not including the Yidin. Besides this, the Radvas says, I don't understand. If the first three Makis also affected the Yidin, So what's why would Rashi think that he would have to send out the Yidin from Mitzrayim? He'll tell Moshe, look, the Yidin are affected by this Makkah as well. It's not a Makkah being brought on me. On the contrary, he'll blame the Yidin for this Makkah. It's the Jews that brought this Makkah on, them, on themselves and on us. So how could you say that the Makkah was brought on the Mitzrayim and the Yidin alike? This is the Radvaz. The Rambam, the Pirish HaMishnai is Kaisiv, the Rambam says, this is the Rambam in the Perkei Yavis, Shemakis da'amutzvadeya lo'yhoyu b'Yisrael klal. The first two Makis, the Yidin were not affected by it all. Like you see in the Lashon of the Pasuk, that what we just quoted here, that the Radvaz quotes, it specifically says that it was brought on the Mitzrayim. Mashenke Makis kinim hoysa gambahem. The Makah of kinim was brought upon Yidin as well, because it does not say only the Mitzrayim. It says over there, Odom, it was brought on people. However, they had lice, but it did not affect them. They did not suffer from these lice. That's the Rambam's uh, opinion. Now, what's Rashi's opinion? Rashi doesn't even hint any answer to the question. Why in the first three makis the Torah does not write for Eflasi? So it's clear that Rashi thinks that that's not a question. If the Torah only writes the Eflasi by Oroiv, so that means by the first two, three Makis, that is, the Mitzrayim and the Yidin alike experience those Makis. Amazing, unbelievable Chiddush Rebbe says. That's a simple shot of the Pasuk. By Kinem, the Torah just says Odom. It affected people and animals. Odom Stam. This is the Rambam adds, that the Yidin had the Makkah of Kinim, however, they didn't suffer. That, the Rebbe says, there's no Rai for this. There's no indication for this in the Pshad of the Pasik. So, according to the simple Pshad of the Pasik, the first three Makkahs affected the Mitzrim and the Yidin alike. So then why does the Torah clearly say to, by both Dam and Svardaya, the Mitzrim are the ones that suffered? So move on to Pashtus. They were the main focus of the Makkah. The main focus of the Makkah was because of the Mitzrim. So therefore it speaks about the Mitzrim. But the actual Makkah did affect the Yidin and the Mitzrim alike. But then the final question that the Radvaz asks is a very strong question. If the Yidin were affected by the first three Makis, so then why would Pari get moved by these Makis? Why would he think that he has to send Yidin out of Mitzrayim if Yidin are being affected by these Makis as well? If in fact, like the Evan Ezra says, and the Rebbe says, Rashi holds, that the first three Makis did affect the Yidin, why? Why did the first three Makis have to affect the Yidin as well? 
But based on what we explained before, what the objective of the first three makis is, we can understand this. As far as the first two makis, Rashi explains. They were brought in order to hit their gods. So it's understood what will be achieved with these makis. When I'll see that his avedizar is being hit, Yekuyim boy bezoiz teida keni Hashem. This will bring him to know that the Yehbishter is the God. If even Yidin are suffering in these makas, that doesn't minimize the fact that his Avedizar is being hit, and that recognition of Parai will be achieved. Since the point of air is to hit the of the Mitzrayim, it has to hit the of the Mitzrayim in every location in Mitzrayim, including where the Yidden are, without exception. Since the point is to hit the gods, you have to hit the in every place. If not, Pare will think to himself, this part of his in the place where it was not affected in Gaishan, look, there's a part of my Avedizara that still survived this Makkah. So, in order to hit the God fully, that he should see, it had to hit the Avedizara of Mitzrayim without any exception. So, therefore, Dam and Svardaya affected all of the Yairim, uh, all of the water, wherever it was in Mitzrayim. Similar could be said regarding the Makkah of Kinim. That they should realize this is a finger of Hashem. This is something that Hashem brought. So this is, this is a Makkah that has to come and affect the entire Mitzrayim without any limitations. Why? Because otherwise, The main point of here is, the Khartumim of Mitzrayim kept on saying that these Makkahs are brought about by Moshe and Aaron that are themselves Khartumim. Uh, they could create with their Kishuv all of these... Uh, Dam and Svardeya, but it's not the hand of God, or it's not the finger of God. The main point of here is, it's trying to prove to them that the Makkah of Kinim was not created by Khartumim, like uh, Mugbalim, Moshe and Aaron, that they said were Khartumim. Like they were arguing and said regarding the first two Makkahs. The Khatum of Mitzrayim could not even create one lice. However, they would argue and say, look, Moshe and Aaron may be more powerful than us. They're greater Khatumim than us. But even they are limited. They can't bring it in every single place in Mitzrayim. They can't bring it, bring it in every section and in every area. They're greater than us, but they're still limited. In order that there shouldn't be any room to say that this is a makkah that's limited, that is brought by limited human beings, it had to be a makkah that covered the entire Mitzrayim without any exception, so it should be clear that the makkah is being brought by the Abishter, which is unlimited and nothing can stop him and he can affect the entire Mitzrayim without exception. That was the objective of the fir- of this Makkah of Kinim. So we see here that the objective of the first three Makkahs is achieved only if this Makkah includes both the Yidin and the Mitzrim. They both suffered. 
When it comes to the there's no reason to include Yidin as well. The main point, as we learned before, Barichis was to frighten and to scare and to confuse the Mitzrayim. So here, Nama Therefore, the Torah says that Eibush is separated between the Mitzrayim and the Yidin, and only the Yidin, only the Mitzrayim that is experienced this Makkah. Now, on a deeper level. We can say, This, the separation between Yidin and the Mitzrayim, is specifically only by the Makkah of Arif. When it comes to the first three Makkahs, It's not necessary to separate between the Yidin and the Mitzrayim. In other words, here the Rebbe is saying, even if we were to say, like the other opinions, that, in fact, Yidin were separated from the Mitzrayim by the first three Makkahs, but it's not necessary for the Torah to say this. Even if the Yidin did experience, actually, the Hey Rebbe is saying, even if the Yidin did experience the Makkis, no one would ever have a thought to say, God forbid, that there's room to say that Yidin could assimilate and mix with the Mitzrayim. The fact that Yidin are experiencing these Makkis together with the Mitzrayim would not in any way make the Yidin think that the boundary between them and the Mitzrayim has been breached and they could assimilate. They wouldn't think such a thing. The Yidin understood that they're separate. Which is not the case though when it comes to the Makkah of Orev. What was the Makkah of Orev itself? The whole content of the Makkah of Orev itself is breaking down boundaries. The Ebishter mixes various different wild beasts. And he brings them all together. So the whole Makkah was like this breach and this opening of nature, of all the barriers of nature coming down and all these wild beasts coming together as one. This itself may have been taken as some kind of a message. That the Ebishter has removed all boundaries that separate between Yidin and Goyim, just as we see over here that these animals came and are attacking us and the Mitzrayim equally, and we see in the Maki itself that all these different animals that are usually separated are now here together attacking. As the boundary between one animal and another, and between the snakes and the scorpions, has all, has all been removed. So the thought could come and take a message from this that the barrier between Yidin and all nations has also been removed. So, oh, it's specifically by this Makkah, Chofetz HaKadosh Baruch Hu Laharis. The Ebishter wants to show, Shamechitz HaKayem as Gambeshozo. Note that the barrier, the separation between Yidin and Goyim remains even now. By the Makkah of Oreb, when there's such a confusion, such a mixture in the nature and the world itself, so that the Yidin shouldn't take a message of this, that the separation between them and all nations has been taken down, so the Abish has to put up a barrier and say, no, there's a separation between my people and Lahavdol, the, the Mitzrayim. The lesson we take from this for now is simply understood. In a time period when there's such a confusion and mixture in the world. Barriers and certain norms in society are being broken down in a way that it was never before. The barrier, the separation between Yidin and the Havdul Goyim has to remain and be even stronger.
Shahare Gamos, Vyasum be Mitzrayim. Even then we even were in Mitzrayim, Kaidim Matantaira. This is still before Matantaira, Hainalof Nesha, Vanavahatam Kalam Valoshan. Before the Yidin became the chosen nation. And there was a Makkah of Arev, and there's a place for a concern that Yidin could think that they don't have a barrier separating them and the Mitzrayim. There's a unique miracle that Abisha performs to separate between the Yidin and the Mitzrayim. So how much more so now after Matan that is in an hour time with the confusion that's going on in the world and in society in general, how important it is for Yidin to remain separate. The Indian This separation is regarding every single Yid without exception. Even those that eventually did not leave, they did not want to leave Mitzrayim. So they were also separated. From the Makkah of Arif. So this is an additional point here. This is a separation between a Yid and Lahabdul Agai, regardless of who this Yid is. Even if it's an, a Yid, it doesn't identify so. It's just a, like a nickname, but he doesn't have any behavior as a Yid. But nevertheless, if he's a Yid, he has to be separated, and there's a barrier between a Yid and Lahabdul Agai. When Yidu will strengthen this barrier, then there'll be no separation between Yidin and the Eibishter. And the every single Yid, will do Tshuva, and immediately Yidin will be redeemed by the final and full redemption. Mashiach through Mashiach